0: Hey everybody, and welcome to the inaugural episode of Ask a Catholic Therapist. Uh, my name is Dr. Matt Bruninger, and I'm a Catholic therapist. Um, so I want to tell you this first episode. I want to tell you a little bit about who I am, uh, what this channel is going to be, what you can expect to hear from us, and and um, why, may, why you know maybe why I started it, what inspired me. So a little bit about me. I uh, got my master's degree in Catholic Theology from Ave Maria University down in Naples, Florida, and following that, I I took a year off, and then I did a doctoral degree in clinical psychology at Baylor University. And so for a very long time, I've been interested in this intersection between faith and psychology, the overlap between theology and psychology. And so this is really inspired a lot of my, my research interests. And so I've published uh, papers that you know are broadly in this area. I've looked at um, how, uh, coming up with a model of collaboration for spiritual directors and priests and psychologists, how can they collaborate on a client's case so that they're not pulling in opposite directions, not working against each other, but actually working together uh, to help a, an individual. I've published on Things like God Attachment, um, I've I published on Religious and Spiritual Struggles, I've published on Virtue Formation, and, and uh, as well as translating um, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous into sort of cognitive behavioral language so that psychologists are more open to some of the, the, I think, really helpful and beautiful truths that AA has in its 12 Steps. So, you know, a lot of my work has been... Um, in this broad area of faith in psychology or psychology of religion, um, and so so this is what i'm interested in I'm interested in thinking about this stuff and talking about this stuff and uh, I, you know I'm a, a licensed psychologist uh, I'm also a teacher I'm also a teacher, and i I love teaching, but what I love teaching what i love the most about teaching i should say rather is i love the questions and answers i love the q and a the back and forth between students and so i do a little bit of speaking on the side and again what i love the most about speaking is the q and a so i was having brunch with some friends and they said hey you you should do you should do sort of a catholic therapist q and a people can can write in and ask you questions and I thought that's a great idea. It's what I love the most about uh, teaching and about um, speaking gigs. And so that's how the channel arose. And so that's what we're going to do. I've, I've created a, what do you call it, a Gmail account, right? And the Gmail account is askacatholictherapist at gmail.com. Again, that's askacatholictherapist at gmail.com. And the way this is going to work is we're going to do 30-minute segments. Uh, And what I'm going to do in those 30 minutes is I'm going to open up the Gmail account, I'm going to pick a question, and I'm going to answer it to the best of my ability. And I think 30 minutes is probably about the sweet spot. Um, I chose 30 minutes because nobody, you know, wants to hear me drone on for longer than 30 minutes, uh, including myself. (laughs) And also because it's sort of a reasonable amount of time to digest sort of important, difficult, sometimes emotionally charged issues. I think much more than a half hour and we'd sort of become overwhelmed. And So it's a good range of time. It's probably about the average commute so you can listen to it on the way in or out of work, uh, on a run or a walk. But so we're gonna do 30 minutes. And then um, I'm gonna try to be mindful of the time. I'm gonna keep my phone here so I keep track of the time. I come from a long line of chatty Irish Catholics, um, we could talk a dog off a meat wagon. So I'm going to be try, try to be mindful of the time. And so um, that's what this is. This is going to be discussions, thoughts. And the beauty is I have a lot of friends who are therapists, a lot of friends who are counselors, a lot of friends who are psychologists. And so my hope is that over time we have the opportunity to bring them onto the channel and you get to know them and you get to hear a little bit about their expertise because I certainly don't know um, everything and there's plenty of areas that are outside of my expertise. So I'm hoping to have people on who can talk about marriage and family stuff, and um, sexual addiction, and all sorts of things. So I'm really excited. I, I feel like this is an opportunity to be incredibly fun and hopefully helpful to, to folks out there. Um, I want to give a caveat, a quick caveat. The caveat is this. No, nothing on this channel. Nothing on this channel, nothing I say, is intended to be professional or psychological advice. Um, What we're talking about here and what we're doing here is not uh, a replacement for therapy. It's not a replacement for seeing a psychiatrist. It is not professional or psychological advice. I couldn't possibly give you that kind of advice based on a simple question. Um, Without knowing you, without sitting with you, without doing a, a... an interview, an in-depth interview, and you know, clinical assessment and diagnostic things. It, it just this isn't professional advice. What this is, is this is for educational purposes. My hope is that I can give you some concepts, some terms, some theories, some research that's related to the questions that you have. And so I want to provide you education about these psychological questions, these theological questions. And the idea is that you can gain a deeper knowledge of some of the ideas, some of the theories, some of the research that might help you begin to answer those questions. You can get a deeper knowledge and appreciation of some of the relevant terms and constructs um, to help you begin to think through those things, those questions. But this is not professional or psychological advice. It's truly important. If you're struggling, you should absolutely see the the appropriate uh, professional. Okay, So askacatholictherapist at gmail.com. I have that Gmail account. And so I'm going to open up the account and see if we can't look at the first question. Let me see here. Let's see. Let's see. Gmail. Bear with me. All right, here's our first question. It says, how can you best support someone who has a severe mental illness um, and who is also in a crisis of faith? Specifically, my loved one has gone from being a Christian to an atheist, and now to an agnostic. Okay, that's a good question. Here's one way to think about that, and I want to break that question maybe up into two parts. The first is, how do we support people with serious mental illness? Um, in the psych in the psych world, sometimes we call serious mental illness uh, SMI, uh, serious mental illness. And we tend to think of things, when we're thinking about SMI, we're thinking about things like bipolar, schizophrenia, the psychotic disorders, that sort of thing. Um, but how you support somebody, uh, some of the principles I'm going to give you today, anyway, are, are universal. I think they work for someone who's got serious mental illness as well as somebody who's got anxiety, depression, you know, panic attacks, that sort of thing. So I want to talk about maybe four or five things. And So generally, the first principle would be something like, we have to acknowledge and accept the reality of their mental health issue. Um, as Catholics, sometimes it and maybe not as as mental health as non mental health professionals it can feel really overwhelming and scary to hear about a person's experience with a mental health issue and sometimes what we do is we avoid addressing it we avoid talking about it we avoid acknowledging it, which can make it feel like we're rejecting the person who's suffering by not acknowledging by not acknowledging their suffering it can feel like we're we're ignoring them, we're dismissing them, and so we have to accept and acknowledge the reality that this person is struggling. Um, How do we begin to do that? Well, one of the first ways we can do that is to ask somebody how they're doing, and to genuinely listen. See, sometimes we ask people how they're doing, and we're waiting just long enough for them to be quiet so we can jump in, But I think one of the first ways we support people with mental health issues and with serious mental illness is we ask them how they're doing, and we get quiet, and we genuinely listen. And we be okay with their response. So if they talk about sadness, if they talk about um, suicidal thoughts, if they talk about um, some of the maybe scary or bizarre behavior associated with with a manic episode or a psychotic episode, We listen and we listen deeply and in listening I think we communicate to the person that I care I'm here for you I see your experience and and it matters your experience matters to me so the first is ask how they're doing and genuinely listen the second thing I might say is uh, don't be condescending so sometimes I think we can assume that we're the healthy ones and someone else is the sick person or we're the well and they're, you know, they're, the, they're the, um, the sufferer. And by putting ourselves above them in this way, we can become dismissive of their uh, suffering and pain. We can also, I think, make them feel like we're condescending. Like, I'm so well, I'm healthy, you're unwell, you're sick, look at me taking out the time to help you and to ask you questions, and aren't I doing such a wonderful thing? look mental illness is it's a cross Um, it might not be your cross uh, but it's it's a cross it's just a cross and i don't think we should i don't think it's wise or prudent or healthy for us to start to think that our cross somehow makes us better than other people who have different crosses Um, so not approaching somebody who's sick uh, like they're pathetic or not approaching somebody who has a mental health issue like they're irrevocably broken, and we're doing them a favor by talking to them. We're not, right? We're, we're, St. Paul tells us, bear one another's burdens, right? We're all gonna suffer, we're all gonna have a cross. Uh, my cross doesn't make me better than anyone else. Okay, so ask questions, don't be condescending. Um, I think a third thing that might be important is uh, don't tell people how they should feel. Um, We sometimes want to pull people out of their suffering we want to pull people out of their sadness we want to pull people out of their despair and um, I think oftentimes this impulse is actually not always bear with me here not always but sometimes it's not born out of a genuine love for the person it's born out of a desire to get out of our discomfort so sometimes we offer people advice and we tell them how they should feel because we want them to move away from this place of uh, hurt, brokenness, pain, because it's making us uncomfortable. And so, hey, don't oh, don't feel depressed. Don't have those thoughts. Don't, you have to think about life. You got to think about hope. Don't have suicidal thoughts. You know, you you need to just you gotta just find the joy. You gotta just find the gratitude. While while many of the things that you suggest might be true, um, very often saying them in that way won't actually hit the person um, it won't touch the person in a way that actually helps them um, telling somebody how they should feel especially when they're in a difficult dark or hard time is oftentimes less than helpful and can be harmful so look, I think we have to listen we have to Be willing to explore their experience with them. We have to be willing to uh, encourage. Encouragement's okay, right? Encouragement's okay. But not tell somebody how they should feel. Don't feel that way. I mean, I think about my own life in small ways. Um, When I'm frustrated, uh, I'm putting the kids to bed, and maybe I feel impatient, or um, maybe I'm running late, and, and we're on the way to church and we're running late. If I'm feeling angry or agitated, when somebody says, hey, don't feel angry, you think, oh, okay, okay, all right, <laughs> all right, um, don't, be imp- you know, don't feel impatient. You, what it does for somebody with serious mental illness is it actually compounds their suffering because now they feel guilt and shame for feeling the way they feel. You know, it, it amounts to something like saying, don't feel the way you're feeling, the way you're feeling is wrong, and so now they feel a guilt and a shame on top of it so it's oftentimes not helpful um, so let's review ask how they're doing and listen don't be condescending um, we want you to listen to how people are feeling and don't tell them how they should feel um, fourth thing might be something like help somebody appreciate that they're not their illness it's look when we get a diagnosis of bipolar schizophrenia these things can be helpful in one way. They can be helpful because for some people, they actually make sense of their experience. They've, they've had all these symptoms, all these thoughts, feelings that they haven't known quite what to do with. And when they get a diagnosis, the diagnosis sort of makes sense of their life and their experience for them. Ah, I see now. I see why I've been feeling that way. I see why I've been thinking that way. I see why it's been so hard for me to connect with others or have relationships or keep a job. So it can be helpful, but sometimes, People can over-identify with their diagnosis. They can become they can come to think that that diagnosis is who they really are, rather than that diagnosis making sense of a piece of their experience. They think that the diagnosis is sort of the whole of their experience or it's their identity. And we don't want people to think that their mental health issue, their severe mental illness, is their identity. No, you are not bipolar. You you are somebody who struggles with bipolar, but you are not bipolar. Um, like you are not bipolar in your core, in your identity. Fundamentally, you're a beloved son or daughter of of God. Right. Our identity, our deepest reality, is we are adopted sons and daughters. And we have to help people realize that their mental health issue is not the whole of them. So what can you do? Uh, point out all the gifts and talents that the person has. This isn't to say you shouldn't acknowledge their suffering and their struggling. Of course you should. I'm going to check the time, make sure I'm doing well. Um, you should absolutely be honest uh, and open about their struggles. But to overly focus on those struggles in, in a way that makes it seem like they don't have anything else going on or good about them is disingenuous. And so reminding people and asking questions about their music playing, asking questions about their drawing or their art, asking questions about uh, their love of books or literature, asking questions about, um, you know, whatever they're studying in college or whatever their work is, whatever they do at work. Uh, There's significantly more to us than our mental health struggles. Sometimes our mental health issues and struggles can feel all-consuming, but one way to support people is to help them see it for what it is. It's a piece of their experience, and maybe not an insignificant one, but nonetheless, it's a piece of their experience, and there are other things going on in their life, things that they are good at, things that they excel in. Um, And people can forget this in the midst of of a mental health issue. And so support people by reminding them that their identity is not their disease. Their identity is um, beloved son or daughter, gifted and talented in all sorts of ways and And talking about those things showing interest in those things Going out and doing those things. Hey, let's get up and golf. You're such a great golfer. Let's go golf Let's go shoot hoops. Let's right helps the person realize that they are not just their ownness. okay fifth thing And maybe last thing for ways to support people um, Ask somebody what they need so often we might think that we know what somebody needs But just asking them what they want and what they need, how you can support them, can be incredibly empowering, right? So what you're doing is you're giving them some autonomy back. You're saying, hey, I think you know yourself better than I know you. What can I do for you? What would be helpful? And so the truth is, sometimes somebody might have an answer to that, Uh, but it may be the case that they don't know. They say, you know what? I don't know. But even if they say, I don't know, simply asking the question is supportive. You're showing them that you appreciate and respect their thoughts, their opinions, you value their autonomy, and you want them to be a part of, right? You want to collaborate with them in helping them. And that's incredibly empowering and supportive. Okay, so that's the first part. That's how we support somebody with a mental health issue. And I'm sure we'll talk about other ways to do this as, as we go on, as we roll on episode after episode. But now the question is something like, what do we do with somebody who's having a mental health issue and a, faith, a crisis of faith? And so I wanna, I wanna delineate between maybe different reasons for a crisis of faith. So you might imagine for some people, the crisis of faith is precipitated by or caused by the mental health issue. This isn't uncommon. I've seen clients who are struggling with depression or panic attacks, bipolar, PTSD. And as a result of their struggling and suffering, They're plunged into a crisis of faith because they think God must be punishing me. God doesn't love me if I'm suffering like this. I must have done something to anger God or to to, um, distance myself from God. And so sometimes the very mental health issue itself can cause the crisis of faith because people are misinterpreting what the mental health issue is. People are misinterpreting what it means. How do we help these folks? I think we help these folks by not focusing on the crisis of faith. Um, Getting into an argument about, you know, five proofs for God's existence from Aquinas or something like this isn't going to help this person, because it's not primarily a doctrinal issue. It's not actually primarily a sort of lack of faith or a lack of hope. I think it's oftentimes a misunderstanding of what the mental health issue means. So for these folks, I think you actually sort of gently and and quietly um, allow the crisis of faith to be off on the side and you focus on helping them uh, reinterpret and better understand what the mental illness is what the mental health issue is mental health issues are not punishments from God they do not mean that God has abandoned us they do not mean that we must have done something wrong to anger or uh, distance ourselves from God right no more than than having diabetes is a punishment from God. Um, Helping people understand and appreciate that a mental health issue is a cross, right? It's their cross. It's their suffering. Now, for the majority of people, counseling, psychotherapy, medication can be incredibly helpful, can uh, help alleviate... The frequency of the symptoms the intensity of the symptoms um, it can remove the symptoms altogether sometimes so right you're not you're not always you're not always going to have this necessarily either that's important Um, now we have to i think we have to help this person see that um, this is a suffering it may be a temporary suffering right but also look we're all going to suffer. We're all going to have crosses. This is your cross. Mine may be different. But having the cross doesn't mean that we've somehow um, disappointed God. In fact, it's the opposite, right? One thing we're promised as Christians is the cross. In fact, the cross ends up being, for the Christian, um, the surest sign of, of God's desire to transform them and bring them deeper into the Christian mystery. And so... For this first type of individual who the mental health issue has precipitated the crisis of faith, helping them see that mental illness and mental health issues are not God's punishment but rather they're oftentimes an invitation by God to go deeper into the mystery of the cross and of suffering can be helpful. Um, we're going to talk, I imagine, in the future about the nature of mental, I- mental illness, the nature about uh, depression anxiety. How do these things arise? What are they? Very often, we think they're either all spiritual attack, or we think they're um, something like uh, imbalances of chemicals in the brain. And the truth is neither is right. Neither is right. Maybe next episode we'll talk about that. That might be just a nice preliminary thing to talk about um, how we actually think about the right way to think about what mental health issues and mental illness are. Because helping somebody understand that it's not a purely spiritual issue, and that it's not, um, while it has a biological component, um, it's not just like a pure broken brain either, can help them appreciate that this isn't a punishment from God. God hasn't forgotten them. God hasn't abandoned them. In fact, God wants to draw near to them. I'm going to stop beating. I'm beating this horse dead. God wants to draw near to them in their suffering. God's not pulling away. God might seem distant, he might be quiet, he might feel hidden, but God wants to draw near to them in their suffering. Okay, so that's the first person. Um, The second person, though, is um, the person who's having a crisis of faith, and it's not directly related to the mental health issue, right? Maybe they have a mental health issue, and this crisis of faith was paralleling it. Um, They were gonna have the crisis of faith regardless of whether or not they had a mental health issue. Now, there's two ways we can think about a crisis of faith. And I imagine we'll talk about this more, too, um, down the road. But I think there's two ways to think about a crisis of faith. One is that it's a genuine issue uh, around doctrine and dogma. Somebody genuinely doesn't understand um, the nature of the Trinity. Um, How can God be three in one? Three persons, one substance. They don't understand the sacraments. They don't understand... um, whether or not the, the Gospels are historically reliable, what does it mean that, you know, Scripture's inerrant, um, how can the Pope be infallible? These crises of faith can, can turn on or be rooted in genuine doctrinal or dogmatic uh, concerns or misunderstanding. How do we deal with a person who's in this, this sort of space? One thing is that people who are in this space oftentimes have a genuine um, interest and desire to find an answer. And so these folks tend not to be angry, they tend not to be combative, um, and they tend, not be, they tend not to be out to deconstruct other people's faiths. Right? If you see somebody who's angry, combative, and is trying to um, pull you away or deconstruct your, your faith, um, I think that's a different issue, and we're going to talk about that next, actually. But these folks genuinely are, are seeking an answer, and they tend to be of goodwill and, and sincerity. <clears throat> How do you work with these folks? What do you do with someone who's in this situation? One of the worst things you can do is dismiss their questions, be dismissive. Um, it's oftentimes we can put people in a crisis of faith by giving them uh, cheap, simple, or, or uh, facile answers to their questions. I see this in youth ministry, in high school youth ministry a fair amount. Kids have questions about things and they're kind of given this really simplistic answer that doesn't satisfy. It doesn't satisfy the heart, it doesn't satisfy the head. And so when somebody asks a question, we have to we have to try to provide a substantive answer that satisfies to the best of our ability. And look, if you don't know the answer, it's okay to say I don't know, but I'll find someone who does. I'll find a book that has that answer. I'll find Uh, a friend or a colleague or a theologian who can answer it. I'll find a YouTube video. We need to provide a substantive answer, but that means that if you don't have that substantive answer, don't make one up, right? Admit you don't know or admit that you feel like your answer probably doesn't satisfy and point them toward resources that could help them. Um, The second thing is don't dismiss their question. Don't make it seem like their question is silly or insignificant. Uh, When we make people feel like their questions are silly or insignificant, it can actually drive a wedge between um, them and their faith, them and God, them and the church. We need to to show an openness. Uh, Faith seeks understanding. Our faith wants to know. And the beauty of the Catholic faith, y'all, the beauty of the Catholic faith is our faith has deep and substantive answers. Our faith has a beautiful intellectual coherence. And maybe we don't know it all, maybe we don't appreciate it, but we can find it and there are people out there who know more in certain areas than we do, so we can find it. Okay, that's how you might deal with somebody who has a mental health issue and is in a crisis of faith, but it's a genuine, sincere crisis of faith. I think there's a third category, folks. And these are people who are in a crisis of faith, and they're sort of angry, they're combative, um, they might belittle or demean people of faith, and they might try to deconstruct other people's faiths. Um, they're always coming at you with these gotcha questions. And how do we work with these folks? What do we do? How can we support these folks? I think we can support these folks by not focusing on doctrinal or dogmatic issues. It seems to me that for many of these folks, the issue is not doctrine or dogma. When somebody's angry, combative, uh, belittling, trying to trying to engage in the gotcha um, questions, I think it's not about deep substantive concerns about dogma and doctrine. I think what it's oftentimes about is these people have been hurt or or wounded by people in the church. These people have hurt and pain from somebody in the church. Oftentimes folks like this, um, if they're young adults, have been um, hurt by parents. Hypocrisy can be the number one offender here. We have parents who are telling us uh, to be gentle, to be patient, to be kind, to be loving, that the Christian forgives, that the Christian uh, gives generously of themselves, um, that the Christian cares about others, the Christian is willing to suffer for love of others, and then maybe they've treated us as their son or daughter uh, abusively. They've been emotionally abusive, they've been physically abusive, um, they haven't been there when we needed them, they're greedy, they're self centered, they're self seeking. Hypocrisy can cause crisis of faith, and I think oftentimes when somebody's angry, um, When they're agitated in their crisis of faith it's usually not about the doctrine of the dogma it's usually about having been hurt by somebody and so they run away from the faith or they push they push against the faith because they're really pushing against the people who hurt them right it's much easier to push against the faith and against the ideas and to push against the doctrines and the dogmas than it is to push away our parents than it is to push away our siblings sometimes we can't push those folks away And so what we do is we reject their ideas because we can't reject them. It's our way of, um, yeah. It it can be somebody's way of trying to uh, take a stand against the hypocrisy that they've seen. And so um, I think those are a couple different types of crises of faith. The crisis of faith that's precipitated by a mental health issue, uh, the crisis of faith that's sort of sincerely about doctrinal or dogmatic issues, and the crisis of faith that's about uh, having been hurt. And we work with those people by not focusing on the doctrine of the dogma, but by trying to provide uh, a healing experience of what someone in the church looks like. And so for this person, how do you support them? You become the most radical monstrance of God's love. You become the most radical monstrance of the truths of the faith. You embody it for them. Where they were hurt by hypocrisy, you live a life of Of coherence and congruence and alignment be a walking gospel for them be patience be love be forgiveness uh, be willing to suffer right Um, where they have been hurt by others hypocrisy we try to be uh, people of genuineness and, and people of congruence what I say and what I preach is how I live and we let them see this I'm keeping an eye on the time we're at the 30-minute mark. I've gone slightly over. I'm so sorry. I'm going to wrap it up. Um, I hope this was helpful. Uh, if any thoughts hit me, I'll open it up, uh, open the next video up with questions. But I hope you enjoyed the first episode. I'm really going to like this and enjoy it, and I hope you do too. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to uh, reach out. therapist at gmail.com. Uh, look forward to talking to you all next time. God bless.